Hello, I'm Holly Custis, and you're listening to Level Playing Field. So welcome, Holly. Thanks for coming on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I want to get to know you before we really start talking football. So what were you like as a child? Were you involved in sports at all? Yes. Um, So I grew up in Salem, Oregon, which is about an hour south of Portland. Um, And I grew up playing pretty much any sport you can think of. I I probably played it at some point. Um, I always loved sports. Um, And then I ended up playing four sports in high school. So I played volleyball, uh, basketball, softball, and golf. Um, I've also played a little bit of soccer. Um, I grew up swimming and I also played some ultimate frisbee in college as a club sport. Um, And the entire time I knew that I loved football, it just never occurred that I could play uh, until I found it uh, my senior year of college. Um, so it's basically my, my sports background. It's one of those things that it's been part of who I am. Um, and I've enjoyed every single second of it. I've met incredible people and it's really helped me develop as a person. So you, you obviously you're, you're a person who loves to be active. Mm-hmm. What was your fir- first sport you played? Oh, I think it has to be T-ball. I think I was about six years old and uh, my dad signed me up for T-ball, and it's actually kind of funny because my parents still make fun of me. The first time I made a hit in T-ball, I ran to first base, and then I saw, you know, how in T-ball there's like a thousand kids that, you know, will be on the base at the same time because nobody knows what's happening yet. Mm-hmm. And there was like four people on second base. So instead of running to second base, I just ran straight through first base all the way to the parking lot. And nobody understood why. And then my parents were like, why did you do that? And I said, well, they were going to get me out. And so that tells you right there, I figured out how to be competitive at the age of six. I didn't want to get out. I wasn't going to run the second base because there's four people there. (laughs) That's amazing. How long did you play baseball? I played softball uh, all the way up until my junior year of high school. And then my senior year, I played golf. I grew up playing golf as well. Um, and so my senior year, I played some golf. Why did you make the change from softball to golf? Uh, so basically, um, you know, I got to the point where uh, the people ahead of me in softball were all seniors and I wasn't going to get as much playing time as I would like to. And so I, I sat down and I was like, you know, I kind of put golf on hold for a while. Maybe I should try golf my last year. So I did. How did the conversion go to to golf as the high school sport? I imagine. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I imagine support is different from your fellow students. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're not as well known, um, but it went well because I, I grew up playing golf since I was about seven. And I would say the the harder the hardest transition between the two sports is that your swing is a bit different between softball and golf. Um, the way that you transition your weight is different. Those type of technical things are different. And you're right, the support is not as there. However, I did pretty well. Um, I think the first tournament I placed like fourth or fifth out of, I think there was like 60 girls. So it was a pretty good showing. 
Um, and it was just fun. It was a very, it was a smaller group of people, but we were very close knit. And so I enjoyed that. So you go from softball to, to golf mm-hmm. and then all through the, so my, my thing is stereotypes, right? Stereotypes for a softball player is right. obviously usually like a lesbian. Right. Um, growing up in, as a youth up to high school, were you always getting, were, were people calling names or, or did you not really deal with that type of stuff as an uh, athlete? It was, it was interesting. I got that a little bit actually in middle school. Um, I went to a private uh, Catholic middle school and I remember I was, um, you know, playing basketball and basketball really was my first love before I, I found football really. And I remember some of the kids, um, the guys in my middle school class would make fun of me because I was decent at basketball. So they, you know, as middle school kids do, made the assumption that because I was decent at basketball, I had to be like a lesbian. And I remember like that profoundly affected me for a couple of years because I didn't really come out until I was about 19 and it was kind of a process that when I figured it out and I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I not know? But it took me a minute and I think for a long time I didn't want to be a stereotype. And I think that kind of stunted that coming out for me for a couple of years, probably it, it probably delayed it for a couple of years longer than I probably should have come out. Um, but in high school, I don't think I got it as much. Um, I did have a lot of gay friends. Um, and then, you know, so I was hanging around gay people and not, not quite realizing what that like where I fit into everything. But honestly, I don't feel like I really uh, found myself in that way until I got to college, because in high school, I was the overachiever kid that I was in four sports and uh, AP and IB classes and honor classes and a peer mentor. And I had no time in high school. Um, so. I think I don't necessarily think that I had anybody call me names per se, but I I guess the closest I got to that was those middle school kids. It was difficult in that moment because you're 11, 12 years old and anything at that age is like the biggest thing in your world that you think will ever happen ever. But I think it also, everything that I have encountered made me a better person in the long run. Do you think that maybe, I mean, I guess I could see it two ways. You talk about being an overachiever with sports, with academics, Right. Do you think it was to focus on college or do you think it was maybe subconsciously to keep your sexuality within? Probably both. Probably both. I I think even if I ended up that like I was straight, I was always going to be the overachie- overachiever kid because that's just my personality. But I think it made it so I didn't really have to focus on that part of me because I was so busy. And I was friends with a lot of people in high school, no matter what their background was. And that's something that I feel kind of proud about because it didn't matter if you were the popular kid or the nerdy kid or whatever group that you were a part of. I was friendly with everybody. But you're right. I think maybe subconsciously a little bit, but I think I was always going to be that competitive person just because of my personality. Mm. What was your coming out story like? Um, so basically, you know, I, again, when I was in high school, I was really, really, uh, the over, uh, the overachiever kid. So I didn't really start 
trying to date or anything until I was basically in college. And that was kind of my time to try to figure out who I am. And then for a while, I was trying to to go on dates with guys and it just didn't feel right. You know, I felt like I was trying to do it because I was supposed to do it and not because I wanted to do it. And it was, it was kind of frustrating because I wasn't quite understanding what was happening. And then um, basically what happened is I had uh, gone out with some friends when I was, I think, 18, almost 19 years old um, at this 18 over a club that uh, we used to go to. And there was a girl there that hit on me. And at first it kind of threw me off. And then I was like, wait, wait a minute. And then it was as simple as that, that little like thought, the little seed of, of thought in my head. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to kind of investigate this more. And so for probably about a year or so, maybe I started like seeing if I could go on dates with girls and, and trying to figure out like where I was and who I was. Right. And so really, um, I full out came out probably when I was 21 um, and there was a, uh, a gay bar in Eugene and I was at that weird age where half your friends were of age and half of them aren't. Right. Mm-hmm. So the people that I knew that would go with me to the gay bar either weren't 21 yet or they were out of town. And the people that were in town in 21, I wasn't quite sure where they would fit on that. So I ended up going to the bar myself and I sat down with a Long Island and started texting my friends and telling them that um, I basically came out to everybody. <laughs> and so instead of like coming out of the closet door, I basically kicked it down. And it, some people, you know, kind of knew and some people didn't. And um, that was kind of interesting. Um, it took be maybe about another year before I told my family and I kind of waited until I had like a girlfriend. Um, uh, and then, you know, that was a process for them. They were fine, but it was kind of like a, they had to come out with me tw- type of thing. Cause they're from the Midwest, you know, so it took them a minute to kind of figure out what everything meant. And I had to reassure them that I still want the same things as if I were straight, I still want to find somebody and get married and all that. So um, that was a process, but that's kind of my coming out story. Um, and then since then, I mean, I've just been out and I don't think much of it, honestly, anymore. Um, I think I'm a little lucky and I, I think I forget sometimes that I'm lucky because I'm in the Northwest and mm-hmm. it's a much more progressive area. I do notice it more when I go to other places in the country. Um, but or at least I'm more on guard, I guess is a better way of putting it. But for the most part, I'm I'm okay, at least in the Seattle area. Yeah, it is a benefit being Northwest or like I am in California. And, right. Uh, along the coast, it's it's a lot easier compared Definitely. to what some people in the Midwest deal with or South. Definitely. So when you go to a college, are you playing sports in college as well? So when I did, um, I didn't play anything at college. Um, I thought about walking on or trying to walk on in softball but then kind of to your point I got to the point where I was like you know what I'm tired of being really busy I want to just kind of relax and focus on school so I chose not to walk on and I for a couple of years I just focused on school and like that's kind of where I kind of figured out who I am um and then 
I played like rec basketball. I was at the the rec center because I went to University of Oregon and I went to the rec center probably four or five times a week and I would play ultimate frisbee and I'd play like slow pitch softball. But after a minute, that wasn't doing it for me anymore. Um, I needed something more competitive. And then my uh, the father of one of my friends told me about a team that was in Eugene and I went to watch them play and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I really want to do this. I mean, my um, parents had had season duck tickets since I was eight years old, and I'd always loved football. But it just never occurred to me that women could play. And so once I realized that they could and there was an opportunity, I, I just jumped at it. Watching it for the first time, then, do you have, like, feelings or emotions of immediately that you want to play football? Or is it more yeah. just excited that there's actually women playing this game that you've loved most of your life? Both. Um, I think I was kind of looking for something more competitive that I could get back into. I think I kind of took a time out uh, for the first couple of years in college and I was like, oh gosh, like I need to get back into something again. And so I was looking for that outlet. And then on top of it, you know, being a, uh, a fan my entire life, I, it, I was really excited for both that the women were playing and that I ha- had an opportunity that I could play as well. How long did it take you before you you went to the first practice? Um, so there had to be, I think it was their last regular season game of that year. And uh, the women's leagues tend to play in the spring. Um, so the following year, uh, probably in the fall, they were holding meetings. And that team ended up merging with the team in Corvallis, which is about 45 minutes north of there. And so I went to the first practice, I think like the first or second week of that January. So maybe like six months, basically from the time that the season ended to the the new season. Oh, okay. So you knew right away then that you wanted, this yeah. is something you wanted to do. Yes, definitely. It was, it, the timing was right. I had just finished school and I was like, yes, this is something I want to do. What position do you play? Um, so currently I've played linebacker um, in my career. I'm going into my 14th year, so I've played pretty much every position that you can think of I've played at some point. Early in my career, I played more running back uh, and corner, um, and then I moved from corner to safety, and then outside linebacker, and then inside linebacker. I've also played some slot receiver before. This year, we had some injuries on O-line, so I played some guard, which was interesting, but really, my true position is linebacker. What was your first position you played then? It's really kind of funny. So originally I was going to play receiver in about three or four weeks into practice. Um, and the reason why I wanted to play receiver is because Jerry Rice was my hero when I was growing up. Um, but then we did a gauntlet trail in practice where basically you have uh, two lines of people facing each other. And then you start at one end of the line with the, with the ball and you run through the two lines as they're trying to rip the ball away from you. And apparently I did well at that. And they're like, Oh gosh, you you need to be a running back. And so that's why they switched me over to running back. So really it was playing running back and corner on defense. Okay. So in women's football, you're playing both sides of the ball. 
most of the time it depends on the team and the and the numbers. So numbers is a big deal. So like the bigger markets, like when you're talking about like a, a Dallas or a, a Boston, and they have the numbers, and they ideally you'll play one side of the ball. But on some of the teams I played on early, they were smaller smaller market teams, so they just don't have the numbers. So when you're talking like you have like 30 players, you're, you're going to have to at some point play different positions because of injuries and things like that. Oh, okay. And actually, before we continue on with your football talk, let's talk about obviously you grew up liking the Niners and you still do. Oh, yeah. Yes. As a Cowboy fan, it makes it hurts my heart that you say you're a Niners fan. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so you grew up with like Joe Montana, Jerry yes. Rice, Roger Craig yes. as the people that you were watching. Yes. Um, obviously, a lot of success when you first started as a Niner fan. Yes. What attracted you to the game so much? Um, I think like the, the Niners were obviously a component. I mean, I loved Jerry Rice for so many reasons, mainly because he wasn't ever the fastest. He wasn't the strongest, but he outworked everybody. And that really appealed to the work ethic that I naturally have. Um, and then also at the time I grew up in Oregon, right? So there's no NFL team here. So it, the closest team that we had was the Seahawks and they were awful during that time. <laughs> and so my grandmother lived in the Bay area and I used to visit her and it just naturally happened that I started watching them and I became a fan. But I would also say my love also really started when I started going to Oregon duck, Oregon duck games. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that I fell in love with was the atmosphere um, you know, and one of the things that I loved is Oregon, their program as a whole was awful for about 100 years. They had maybe a couple of years here and there that they were OK, but I kind of grew up with the Oregon program in that as I started growing up, they got better and better and better and better. And my interest grew and grew and grew. And I was kind of like um, that girl on, uh, remember the Titans, the, the little girl that knows all the plays better than the other coaches. Mm -hmm. That was probably me. I just fell in love with the, the pageantry of it, the passion behind it. Um, and I just, I loved it from the start. So then when you actually get to start playing it, yes, does it, does it take you back to being a kid and first fall in love with the sport? Oh, definitely. And it was one of those things that you know, I thought I knew a lot about football when I was watching it, and I probably did considering I hadn't played it before. But then when you start playing, you start understanding it on a different, a completely different level. And I, it did. It was like me and my element. Like once I kind of understood what I was doing on the football field, it really legit felt like me and my element, like I'm supposed to be doing this. This is who I am. And it, I equate it to when you're a kid on the swing and you just want to go higher because it's so much fun. That's how it felt. And that's how it still feels. I imagine that when you're playing, though, you actually real, finally realize, I mean, I, I know it now, but you finally realize that it's a lot quicker when you're playing. Things are coming yeah. at you faster. Oh, yes. And the, the interesting thing about that is like the, the pace of the game, you know, definitely comes at you fast. But the longer I've played the slower it gets, if that makes sense, because I, my understanding of what's happening has in, increased to the point where when I'm kind of in the zone and feeling the flow of the game as a, a linebacker, I can see what the offense is doing before they're doing it. And I can beat them to where they're trying to go. And in that way, sometimes the game actually slows down. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's, and I think you get that in other sports too. 
like the longer you play, the more that you are, you're not thinking anymore. You're just reading and reacting. And that's really the sweet spot, I think, in any sport. Yeah, I guess it's like your your brain has been trained to know what to expect. So you're only having to process what isn't normal. Yes, it, exactly. Exactly. It's more of a you're um, relying on that muscle memory and that you've trained your body to, to recognize. What was your first year like as a running back? It was fun. Um, the interesting thing is like the first game I ever played, uh, we played a team, I think that was in, <laughs> excuse me, Redding, California. Mm-hmm. And they were also a small market team. Uh, they uh, were not the strongest team. And so the first time I played, I, I think I had like a, over 100 yards rushing. I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. And then this is kind of fun. And then the second game we played, um, uh, a very strong team and a team from Seattle. And that was kind of my welcome to football moment where on, I think it was our first kickoff and I was running down the field and this is kind of where the coaches will tell you, you need to learn how to keep your head on a swivel, especially on, on things like kickoff, because if you don't, this is what happened. So I'm running and somebody came from my blind side. When you have a helmet, some of your vision is a little cloudy on the edges so this girl came from the side and just blew me up and I got air. I swear I got air. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that, what, what the hell just happened? <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I guess this is actual football. And it made me like it even more. And uh, the first year, I think it was more just figuring out the game, the ins and outs. Like I had um, played sports my whole life. So that really helped, you know, some of the footwork in basketball really helps because you can transition that into football. Um, and it, I think I really started to develop, uh, the first year, I think, uh, my biggest transition year was probably actually my fourth year when I first played for, uh, the team that I moved to in Portland. Um, but the first year I ever played was awesome. And actually, before we continue, let's go over the leagues that there are, sure. because right now there's, I think I read there's three leagues. Well, and then three, and then there's the legends football league. But I'll sort so, of treat that separately. Yeah. So um, women's football has actually been around for a while. Um, it's just gone, you know, in and out as far as like what leagues are around. Um, and the current leagues right now, the main there's mainly two big ones right now. Uh, there used to be more. And then there's a couple smaller ones as well. But right now uh, there's the uh, WNFC, which is the current one that I play in. That one's the newer one, and it's been around since last year. Uh, it has a sponsorship with Adidas and Rydell. Uh, it's a smaller league compared to the other one. I think this year they're going into the next season with 20, 20 teams, I think. And then the WFA is the one that's been around for, I believe, like 10 years or so. It's a little bit longer, um, and they have more teams, but their structure of how they – Basically, these two leagues have different philosophies on what they want for the sport. And so the WFA has more numbers um, and they're they've been around longer. But the WNFC is looking for more of like a business model type of structure. Um, and then you've also had historically, there's been other leagues that have been around. There's been the IWFL. Um, there's been... Gosh, I think there's been like 12 or so leagues in the last like 30 years, but it's similar to men's football 
and that men's football has a history of like many, you know, leagues. And then finally there was the AFC and NFC and then they combined for the NFL. So mm-hmm. similar, like, you know, uh, trajectory for women's football. So I spent three years with the team of Corvallis and I was in the IWFL. And then I moved to Portland uh, in 2010 and I played for a team uh, that was in the WFA for five years. Um, and then I moved up to Seattle and I played with the Seattle team for uh, four years. And then that uh, team went through a couple different leagues. We were in the WFA, then the IWFL, then the WNFC. And then now I'm going to play for the team in Utah that's with the WNFC. So basically, I've been around the block and I've played for all the leagues you can think of. <laughs> Is there a league that was you thought was better? Um, I think... Right now, the two leagues that are the main leagues are the been the better leagues. I think they just have different philosophies on which direction to go. I think the thing I really like about the league I'm in now is that they seem more business orientated. And you know, considering the fact that we're women, we really it's if you're a male athlete for the most part, if you're a male athlete, especially if you're a straight male athlete, you wake up. And you've been told that you've been good since you're five years old. And if you go and get the mail, it's on the news. Everyone's excited about what you're doing. You know, case in point, Antonio Brown, he could like go out and get a cup of coffee and it's on the news, right? Mm-hmm. Or women's sports, we have to struggle to get any kind of recognition. Women's sports, as well as um, LGBT sports, we're kind of on the outlier where we have to really fight to get any kind of attention, right? So I think as a sport for women's football, the business model is something I kind of really think we should go towards because we really need to get to the point where the people coming after us can maybe get to the point where they get paid to do what they do. They can, they don't have to, um, you know, like early in my career, I've, I've seen anything from like, we don't have the street lights available, so we have to use cars to put on the field. All the way up to now, we're a much better position since when I started, but we have a lot further to go. And you can see that across the sport in um, any women's sport, really. Like the WNBA, those players have to play overseas, and they get paid more in places like China and Russia than they do here. It's similar to women's football. We need to get to the point where we treat seriously so that other people take us seriously so that's why i really like what the wnfc is doing they've really worked hard in a short amount of time to get uh, sponsorships um, and get the word out and so i'm excited to see what they do why do you think it is where you know women's sports obviously it's it's on a different level right now (laughs) women's soccer soccer is the most popular sport in the world our women's team is the best team in the world right um and then uh, women's basketball, obviously we have the NBA and we have the WNBA. How is it that a sport like football, which is number one in the U.S., how is it that the women's game isn't on par with WNBA or the soccer league? It comes down to a simple answer. It's marketing because you're right in that soccer is the biggest sport around the world, but football is the biggest sport in the U S by far. And we, it's a sport that Americans love. We watch it basically almost every day of the week. There's a thousand games on any weekend, especially on a college football Saturday. Um, it's very, very popular and we love all forms of it. I, I think the problem is that people don't know that we exist. And the reason why we 
they don't know that we exist is because we we haven't had the funding to spend towards marketing for people to know that we exist. And that's why having a business model to our sport, attracting the right sponsors, that sort of thing, that business side is what will really help the sport get to the the next level. Yeah, I mentioned, um, and I told you before we started recording, I want to talk about the Legends Football League, formerly Lingerie Football League. There's yes. a league like that, and no offense to the women that play in the sport, in the, in right. the league, but right. does a league like that hurt women's game for becoming like a legitimate sport? Well, it's a really, it's a complicated question, a complicated answer. It's yes and no. I, th- I think that um, I have a lot of respect for the athletes that play because there are some really good athletes and I've talked to a bunch of them. So I don't really have any problem with those women because they're working hard just like we are to, to play and they love playing. Um, I think the bigger problem is historically uh, the owner of that league is not a very nice guy. Um, he has not treated his players well. And they've also talked to players that I have known that have played um, and they've told me some of the stuff that's happened. And it's very evident to me that the owner of that league is not concerned about the product of football. He's concerned about basically having models on the field. Mm-hmm. And there are players in there, I think even some coaches in that league that really want to care about football and they want to drive that home that, you know, they, they're there to play football. Right. But I think it seems to me that there is kind of a divide within their league between the two factions of let's play football or let's uh, be kind of an entertainment type of uh, game. And I think the problem is, is that the people that are actually owning that league and running it from an administrative side, they're more interested in their entertainment side. So it's kind of sad to me uh, because I feel like there are women that play that might not understand that they have other options. There's also um, girls that might see that and think, oh, gosh, I have to like take my clothes off in order to, to play. And I have no problem if that's something you want to do. I just think it's important that people know that there's other options, that you don't have to do that, that you can you can play full kit with pads and everything, or you can play that style either direction. But I really feel like... Um, that people should know that there's other options. Um, but I do, I am encouraged in the fact that there's more and more uh, young girls who play in high school, middle school, you know, Pop Warner. So there, there's a, definitely a push towards the youth playing. And also there's a lot of flag football leagues that have popped up as well. So that is encouraging, but it's kind of a complicated answer with the Lingerie Football League or the Legends Football League. Um, I think it hurts and and, and it helps in some ways. Um, I'm kind of on the fence about it, to be honest. I wish that there, that it didn't have to be like that, that this could be kind of like an arena football league thing where there's a different style of football, Mm -hmm. but if you want to play like full kit, you can also play like NFL style. And then, you know, each, each one has a purpose and you can play different styles and it's fine. But I just I worry that people will see the LFL and think that's my only option. I have to take off my clothes to play. And that's my concern, basically. Well, and you mentioned the business plan and stuff. I would think even and I'm going to move off the Legends Football League in a minute. But (laughs) I think even for a business plan, it's a hard thing to sell because they want to try to sell it as like a 
they want to try to sell sex for the Basically. sport, mm -hmm. but then it's still football that the the women are playing. So it you it's probably hard to please both sides of the aisle or both sides of the the market because you can't do both, and it seems the like they're other, trying. Yeah, the, and and the thing that I always you know thought about is okay if you're a male athlete, right? And you happen to be like a good looking guy. Like if you're like a Tom Brady person uh, or like a Julian Edelman person, when you hear like the media talk about these people, they talk about their production first or looks second, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so Tom Brady is a great player. But he happens to be like a decent looking guy, right? But when you're looking at the female athlete, historically, it's we don't care what she produces on the field or the court or whatever she's playing. We care what she looks like. So you have, what was that tennis player that was really bad, but she was all over the place because she was attractive. Like that's like the female athlete mold that we try to push out of that. Mm -hmm. it, you can be good looking and, but really you're there to be an athlete. And if you happen to get, be good looking, that's fine. But really you should appreciate these females for what they can do as an athlete and that's something that i hope that we can push towards and so have you seen that as you played you know over the years have you seen the sport become bigger faster i'm sure the athletes are improving in speed and, and quality yes. oh yeah um when i first started playing uh like the first couple of years if you were any kind of athlete at all like you were dominant now the play has gotten very very competitive and not just in the u.s like there, there's teams all over the world that play there's people um and i've gone to camps uh and international games and stuff where there are people there are women that play football in like the czech republic and china and japan and all of central and south america the game is growing internationally it's growing internationally period but it seems like it's growing faster on the women's side and it's really, really awesome. And because of that, there's a lot of international players coming over here to play and uh, American players going overseas to play. And that's making the game more competitive. Um, and now you're getting, you know, people that played uh, like college sports uh, competitively in like other areas that will come and play football. And then the coaching is getting progressively better. So the product has definitely gotten better since I started. Do you see people coming to watch more? also yes um i do see a lot more people coming to watch and the other component that's been really great for the women's game is online streaming of the games this has really helped um i think there was a game that we streamed last year that we got like, i think it was like forty thousand views um so it's one of those things that because the way we communicate in the world is gradually changing, the access to the game has to also gradually change. And having the option to stream your, your games has really improved the visibility. Uh, and then the WNFC uh, just got a TV uh, deal with, I think it's called America 2. It's an, it's a an, uh, smaller network that they're going to broadcast a weekly game of the week next season. So stuff like that, the visibility factor is really the key. That's really cool to hear. I didn't know that. Yes. Uh, I think they just announced it like a, a month or two ago. That's cool. I know with women's roller derby, it exploded over like the last 10 or 15 years. Yes. Um, so it is good to see that women's sport is growing and it's actually the athletics portion of it that's growing. Yes. 
what do you hope to see? Because I think on Facebook you announced that you might have like one one more year left. Yes. You'll play. What do you hope to see the future of the sport do? I mean, do you do you dream of like a women's professional league? Yes. Um, and basically, so th- this will be my last year playing. Um, I mean, like playing 14 years, it's a, it's a lot of wear and tear on your body. Um, and so I think it's just time. But I really, my biggest, you know, desire is really to see the next generation take it even further. And I don't think we're far off. And to see the amount of growth that we've had, even in the time that I've played, I, I really think we're getting closer and closer to the point where we can have that nationally recognized um, professional league where people are, are taking home paychecks and they don't have to have, you know, second jobs or a main job that they rely on and, and they can actually rely on this as their career. That is something that I think it can get to. It's going to take some work. Um, I think we're headed there. Uh, I think uh, I'm excited to, to see that happen. Um, and, uh, I think, I think it's awesome. Do you think you'll have plans to be a part of football after you retire? Do you want yes. to coach or? Yeah. So my plan definitely is to coach. Um, I haven't decided like what Avenue uh, I want to coach at, but I've been taking, um, uh, some coaching, um, classes and certifications and clinics. Uh, I took a, a scouting class this last, um, uh, this last, uh, season, um, with uh, something that's called the Scouting Academy, and it's where uh, people that want to become like NFL scouts, they'll take this class. Um, I've learned a lot from that about how to break down film even on a deeper level than I ever thought possible. Um, and so I've been kind of using this time to help transition myself to that so I'll, I'll be ready for it. But yes, definitely coaching. You know, we we touched on your sexuality earlier, but I want to ask how your sexuality has played a part in the sport. Um, I imagine I, as women, it's more accepting anyways. Yes. Traditionally. Yes. Um, so you you don't have to hear, you know, homophobic um, hate speech or anything within the locker room usually. No, um, that is something I, I do think that at least in female sports, we have it a little bit easier than the, the male side. I do think you you run across, I think where we run into it more is not in the locker room, but more about the marketing component, where because you have, uh, I mean, we basically have all, anybody, you know, in any like section on our teams historically, you know, gay, straight, bi, anything in between, we, I've, you know, we've had it on our team or, or in the league or the sport. So we've been very diverse in that way, but I think where we run into it, it's not in the locker room, but more in the marketing component where when you want to market your team and you may have people that are more masculine presenting, then it becomes quote unquote less appealing to the general masses to try to uh, promote that player as opposed to somebody that's more traditionally straight looking and pretty. So I think we run into it on that end more than the locker room. It reminds me of that scene um, in A League of Your Own. Yes. When uh, they're... Yes, the second baseman, I think she was. Yeah. Um, And they're introducing the players. There's Madonna and stuff like that. And then they have a faraway shot from her. Yeah. And they're like, she's such a... What a hitter. Yeah. yeah, That's kind of... That's kind of the... the, um, I think where we see it more is on that end. Okay. I want to talk about safety. 
for a <laughs> minute. CTE concussions, it's a big deal in, in sports, in football, in you see it in rugby and in, in soccer or fo- uh, international football or whatever you want to call it. Um, yes. How does that play a part in the women's game? I imagine you're still using the same helmets, which have gotten better. But is there, do you see a concussion problem in, in women's football as much as in the men's side? I think it's, um, it's pretty much the same across the board. And when it comes to uh, concussion safety, I think in the sport as a whole, whether it's the men's side or the women's side, it's really like a three-pronged uh, like attack. And the first level is equipment. As you say, we do wear the same helmets. Um, the helmets have gotten way better even since I started playing. Um, there's a lot more attention to detail. Uh, there's a lot more tech when it comes to helmets and like your average helmet now will be around 300 350 dollars because uh because of those safety precautions they put into it but some of the really cool like progressive ones are over a grand because they help when you um will have an impact some of them will the, the science behind it is really awesome but like if you have an impact on your head it will funnel that impact in a way that it doesn't actually hurt your head as much. So some of the tech stuff that they've done when it comes to helmets, uh, even mouth guards. Now some of the mouth guards will have sensors in them that will track the impact that you'll get when you get hit. And it will tell, um, you know, they'll have a set it up to like a cloud and it'll tell people how big that impact was. So some of that stuff is really cool and it's gotten a lot better. And then the second component um, is definitely technique. Uh, when I started playing, uh, the, I've pretty much learned how to tackle about five or six different ways. There's different philosophies on how to do it. But when I first started playing, the technique wasn't as clean as in your head was involved more in the tackle. Mm-hmm. Now people are going towards uh, what's called the Seahawk or Hawk style of tackle, which is more of a, a rugby style tackle okay. where you're leading with your shoulder more and taking your head out. Uh, so there's different philosophies in that, but it's kind of, I think, where the game is going towards. Um, it's not, you know, nothing's ever going to be perfect, but technique is important because like we talked about muscle memory is what you use when you tackle so when you create that muscle memory and practice by learning that technique that's how you're going to tackle in the game and then the third component is the knowledge of what a concussion looks like so i think in a women's game i don't think it's necessarily been a, a huge problem but also i think we've had at least since i've been around at that time at the beginning people are at least aware of concussions I think the concussion problem as a whole was really bad in the 70s and 80s when the NFL guys had horrible helmets, bad technique, and then mm-hmm. they would get, you know, hit and then they'd be like, oh, I'm fine. And then they just go back out. Like now there's like a whole process. You have to, you know, there's a person that will like evaluate you on the sideline. And most of the time you're not going to come back in. And then and then you have to like clear, uh, but you have to be clear by a medical professional before you can be allowed to practice or play again. So in that way, I think we're all heading in the right direction um, as a unit, as a sport, whether it be on the men's or women's side. And I think it will get better and better. Um, but it's definitely something that I think you just have to uh, do your best to be aware of what the symptoms are, to get the best equipment and technique you can um, and try to protect yourself. 
that's great that you guys are already starting to see improvements on that. Yes. Yeah, you know, I'm actually thinking I need to go to a game. I I've been to um I go to a lot more women's rugby games because our local college has a team and they have a tournament every once in a while. Right. Um, and for people who think that the women's game is slower or whatever, just going off of rugby, it's so not true. And I tell people that want to go see rugby, I go, go to a woman's game because you're going to see it more aggressive, more in your face, um, more competitive. Oh, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing that you will get, I mean, whether it be rugby or football, is that you, you'll get the the guy who's like, oh, it's, it's slow and you can't take a hit and blah, blah, blah. And I'm telling you, like, People, women can hit, and I'm not the biggest person out there, but there are women who are like 350 pounds and six foot three and will destroy you, whether you're a man or a woman, and they will hit you. And, you know, especially um, the fact that women are aggressive, and you have to understand that um, one of the things that's really interesting about women's football as well, uh, when it comes to um, like gender uh, type stuff is that bigger men are taught that you can be a bigger guy and still be valuable where bigger women are not. So what you'll see is you'll see linemen in our game. that are like, gosh, I've been a bigger woman my entire life. And this is the first time anybody has valued me because I'm bigger, because I'm stronger. And so you'll see some of those women that just take to it like a duck with water. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And they will hit you. Yeah. They are not, they are not, um, you know, they're not people that will be, they're not going to be lenient with you. Um, and it's just as fast. And there are some people, um, one of the great things about football is you need all sizes. You need mm-hmm. the little people and you need the big people, right? And so I've seen anything from people that are like, like five foot, like maybe a hundred pounds soaking wet play to all the way to like, six three six four 350 you know type pounds and all of them can play and we've had some world-class athletes that are fast and you know there's some skill there that people just don't know about yeah i'm going to definitely check it out and i hope other people do i'd love to see the women's football game grow and hopefully a combined league in the future oh definitely i want to talk about 49ers pride being a 49ers fan it had to get you excited when this past spring they announced 49ers Pride. It's their official LGBT group, supporter group. Mm-hmm. What do you know about it? What Was there an excitement for you to see a professional football team announce that? Yes, um, I definitely read about that. and I think it's really exciting. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things that, it it definitely helps that it's in San Francisco, you know, a very progressive city. But I really, I think it's a great sign. Uh, and I hope that other teams follow suit in doing something like that. I mean, occasionally you'll see like a, um, like a pride night. Um, I, I think I see it more like in soccer sometimes and different soccer games and sometimes basketball games. But I really hope that more NFL teams will do it. Um, and I think one of the reasons why is because the the straight male ego when it comes to to the traditional male football um needs to understand that there are people that play that are gay and there are people that support the sport that are gay and they are just as valuable as anybody else and you 
when you are talking about playing as a football player and that moment when you're trying to tackle someone, you don't care who you are sleeping with or who the other person's sleeping with or who they are, or where they come from in that way. You're just thinking about making the play. So I'm hoping that little things like these, these pride events and groups and nights help maybe infiltrate that um, uh, a little bit more until we get to the point where people understand that it doesn't matter you know, who you are in that regard, as long as you either are playing and you're, you're making your plays and you're helping your team or you're a fan and you're, you're supportive of your team. Yeah. And yeah, I, I love, like I said, I grew up a Cowboy fan, so it's hard for me to cheer for any Niners, but that right. program is awesome. And I've talked to a couple people involved in it and it's still in the early stages. So they're still figuring things out, but it's going to be a great program. And I hope other uh, teams get involved soon. I do too. Um, I want to let you go. So let me ask you my final question that I ask all the guests. Yes. Um, if you go back in time and tell, you know, your 12 year old self something about something that could help you with your own sexuality, coming to terms with who you are earlier, um, mm-hmm. or as you tried to figure it out when you're a little bit older, what's that one thing you would tell yourself to help you? I think like at least for me on a personal level, I would have told myself, um, don't be afraid, you know, about trying not to be a stereotype that it's okay that I was an athlete and also gay, like that I didn't have to worry about people thinking that they were mutually together, that I could be gay and an athlete and not uh, gay because I was an athlete. I think that was the biggest thing I probably could have told myself if I was, you know, looking back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was probably that's probably it. All right. Holly, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I really appreciate you coming on and talking to me. No, uh, thank you so much for having me. Cool. Let me go ahead and stop recording.